Welcome, everybody, to Blissfully Aware, the show in which three opinionated people discuss what's going on in fandom and nerd news in general. I am Bliss, and as always, I am joined by my two lovely co-hosts, Kelty and Kendra. Hello! Hi, everyone! Hi! Do you guys have a good week? A nice, fun, drama-free week? Yeah, I did, I actually. Yes. <laughs> it was fine. I mean, like I said, I am just on Twitter less and less all the time, and I feel great. Mm-hmm. It does soothe the soul. But uh, bad transition aside, Kendra, you were on Twitter recently, and you have something to start us off with. A little amuse-bouche, if you will. Yeah. Um. So, uh, this one actually concerns um friend of the show, uh, someone we, we covered a while back, or not really covered them, but just a take that they had that is not unique to them. Basically, uh, uh there is an author, R.S. Benedict, and R.S. Benedict really fucking hates fanfiction, like, a lot. Like, in a weird, personal, angry kind of way. Oh. Um... They have opinions. Like, oh. like last year... No, oh, I can't tell time anymore, so it's probably, like, two years ago or something. They were like, fan fiction is, like, selling your soul to the corporate <laughs> entity. Like, rah! Like, so none of the... At least in the thread I saw, none of the arguments for why she hated fan fiction so goddamn much really were that, like... It wasn't a logical argument. It was, like, an argument from emotion, which is yeah. fine. Like, there's no reason. Like, she doesn't have to like fanfiction. I could really give a fuck if she does or not. But anyway, she hosts a writing podcast called Write Good. And on this podcast, so on uh, one of the recent es- episodes of their podcast, or of her podcast, um, she and a co-host discussed a movement in speculative science fiction fantasy literature Uh, They claim the dominant current movement in speculative fiction, what they called (laughs) squeecore. So you can probably determine from the name a little bit of what they consider squeecore to be. I'm going to read this from the webpage of the podcast. They call it, quote, a style of quippy, fluffy, moralistic, fanish, centrist, Joss Whedon-esque speculative fiction, speculative writing that touts itself as capital I, important activism, but is mainly middle-of-the-road escapism. So that's what they consider Squeakor to be. And in in their actual episode that I did not listen to, but I read the uh, transcript of, what they are discussing is main, mainly the aesthetics of this, like, movement brand, like, uh, type of writing that they see as dominating the sci-fi fantasy literature space at the moment. Very young adult adjacent type work. Everything kind of has to be, like, safe and accessible and, you know, nurturing and kind of funny and not really ever dangerous or mean or gross or anything. It's gotta keep it light, you know? Not quite uwu, though. No, well, probably uwu. Like, I think squee core and uwu style stuff, like, could go hand in hand. Which is is an insane sentence that outside of this context, no (laughs) human being in history would fucking understand. (laughs) I love every time I get to say a brand new English sentence. (laughs) 
And uh, there is a movement towards this sort of, like, fluffy, feel-good, moralistic style in sci-fi fantasy literature, they claim. And I agree with, for the record. I think their their argument, their, their discussion is 100% on the nose. I... Uh, you know, for as much as I disagree with R.S. Benedict about whatever fan fiction did to her back in the day, <laughs> Kill the uh, mom. I think this is totally on the money. I think that sci-fi and fantasy is just kind of very fucking safe now. There's a bunch of, like, surface-level diversity, but no, like, deep-down digging as to, like, what the roots and origins of like discrimination and subjugation and persecution are like it's all just very surface level like oh you got a woman and a gay in there you're fine like that's Uh that's hashtag woke now and yeah i think some of it has to do with like the absolute boom in popularity that young adult fiction has had in the last five seven years like Kind of toward, I guess, really starting with, like, the just phenom of Harry Potter in the early 2000s. Mm. And then that, like, built up a lot of momentum that we are still living through right now. The fact that, like, young adult fiction has the ability to, like, set trends in the market now, unheard of before (laughs) very recently. They argue that there's even a reluctance currently to recognize, like, squeak horror as a thing because it's just everywhere. They have this quote that they uh, reference. The anthropologist Ralph Linton said, quote, The last thing a fish would ever notice would be water. Because they're just in it. It's everywhere. And it doesn't even occur to you that there might be something other than this. This is how you breathe. This is how you move. This is how you stay alive. And so I need to underline... In this uh, initial podcast episode where they're talking about, like, just the aesthetics, the existence of this sub-genre sort of movement of, that they call squeak horror, they're not really making making an argument about, like, the politics or the ideology of squeak horror. They're just describing it aesthetically. They are just trying to explain what they see in front of them, the two co-hosts. So, and, like... There's more, obviously, but that's just a very brief summary of what the first podcast episode was like that fucking pissed everyone off. Because, Uh well, not everyone. (laughs) Because sci-fi fantasy writer Twitter heard that, and then they had a big old fucking shit fit all over Twitter for several, several, several days. And, I don't know. Book Twitter in general. Fucking scary. Not even book Twitter. (laughs) Author Twitter. Mm-hmm. People who are published fucking authors losing their goddamn shit in a public forum all day, every day. These people should be stopped. <laughs> how can like how can a whole industry conduct itself this way? Like I could understand if this was just purely the fans, if this was just one hundred percent like consumers of this type of literature because you know nerds aren't known for our etiquette i guess no we don't Mm. we're not uh the politest or most i guess we're a very socially anxious group uh we tend to talk too loud (laughs) um so i could totally see if this was just nerds just fighting about like yeah like my style of vampire book is better than your style of vampire book. <laughs> Meh. Like, but this is how the fucking authors conduct themselves. This is how the people in this industry just 
go about their 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 PR. This is how I don't get it. Such fucking middle school mean girl shit. And they have somehow deluded themselves into thinking that, like, oh no, it's for my art. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, um, basically on Twitter, uh, several authors have been fighting with R.S. Benedict and the co-host, or the guest, I'm not sure, of the podcast episode. Uh, because, basically, the counter-argument is, well, if you hate Squeakor, you hate diversity. <laughs> and that's, that's basically the counter-argument. And in order to make this make a bit of sense, I have to talk about another stupid thing <laughs> in the science fiction fantasy literary scene called the sad puppies. <laughs> Do we remember the sad puppies? Mm-hmm. Are we aware of what the sad puppies are? Mm-hmm. I am, but please explain. <laughs> okay. Excuse me while I flip. Yeah, while I flip to my other tab here on my phone. So we probably, if you listen to this podcast, know of the Hugo Awards. The Hugo Awards are the longest-running awards given out to science fiction and fantasy literature, at least in the English language. I'm going to guess in the world. Please correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> and again. I'm hugely abbreviating here. But in 2015, some people, sci-fi fantasy fans and writers, decided that science fiction and fantasy literature was getting was just getting too woke, you know? It was just getting too leftist and uh snowflakey and all that. There was like books written by women getting nominated, books with you know, non-white male straight characters getting nominated, storylines about things that weren't about white straight men, and they decided that they fucking didn't like that. So, uh, they organized themselves into a voting block called the Sad Puppies. I don't really know why that's the name they went with. (laughs) I don't really fucking care to find out. But uh, they were organized by a few authors who, I guess, felt like their works were being passed over for, you know, like, affirmative action type books instead. Like, oh, if only it weren't for the, the affirmative action nominations, my book would be getting recognition or... So on and so forth. Sure, buddy. Sure, man. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. And through a manipulation of the Hugo Awards nomination and voting rules, which I still don't fully understand, <laughs> uh, they were able basically to get works they wanted nominated and or awarded. Mm-hmm. This included some authors who vehemently disavowed them, and like uh, Neil Gaiman and Neil Stevenson, both two authors who did not did not want to be associated with this movement at all. Because you know, if you read anything about their fucking their works, you would understand why. And again, I don't really know. I've read it a few times now, and I still am too stupid to understand how exactly they were able to manipulate the nomination process and the voting or and the awards process I don't fucking but they were <laughs> somehow in order to get you know the works they wanted nominated and recognized and basically from what wikipedia tells me they haven't tried this since like 2017 basically in 2017 the hugo awards somehow again the finer details of which escape me 
changed the nomination and voting uh, practices so that, I guess, one block of voters couldn't hugely sway the the uh, outcomes like this. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, obviously, a lot of the politics behind this sad puppies movement was maybe a little conservative and a little alt-righty and maybe just a tiny bit, a little bit neo-Nazi-ish. I'm shocked. Just a touch. Mm. Just This is my shocked face. Yeah, just seems like they might have had a teensy bit of... <laughs> alt-right, boogaloo boy, neo-Nazi influence in yes. their in their midst, let's say. And there is there is more to this to do with the fact that, like, one publisher uh, in the English language, Tor Books, basically decides what sci-fi and fantasy books get published in the American market, in the English market. And there was a lot of accusations, you know, being made towards various people who worked at Tor, and that's that's a whole other thing. We could do a whole fucking retrospective on the sad puppies and the state of science fiction fantasy publishing in the English language. All that's important to know, there was a voting block of sad white men with a stupid fucking name that were able to influence certain nominations and awards and uh maybe maybe we're a little bit too conservative mm-hmm. how surprising like from what i have seen myself no one directly involved in the sad puppies has been like unmasked as an outright neo-nazi it's just that that's where a lot of their sympathies kind of point toward, is that they they, ha- they tend to have very alt-right sympathetic views. Anyway, going back now to the right-good drama of Squeakor. One author, I guess, heard the podcast, listened to the podcast, read the transcript, and decided that the host and co-host of this episode were sympathetic to the the plight of the sad puppies. And this author must have locked their account because I cannot fucking find uh, their tweet or user handle again. I guess it doesn't really fucking matter. Basically claimed that they agreed with the sad puppies up until they found out they were Nazis. Like, the sad puppies were right except for the whole being Nazis thing, is what they said. For the record, (laughs) for the record, R.S. Benedict is a queer woman, uh... I don't know exactly her identity or orientation. I don't think it fucking matters. Just, I know that she's openly queer. That's a pretty fucking egregious thing to say, I think. Yeah. You know, because, like I said, now you're you're sort of basically this author. It's basically proving their argument about Squeakor right. If you disagree with us, you're against wokeism. You know, you're against diversity you're against all of the things our literature stands for look at all of our rainbows and happy go- <laughs> you know what i would say i would say steven universe fucking textbook case of squeak whore. oh yeah feel free to disagree with me but from from the aesthetic elements that they list in their in their podcast something like steven universe um adventure time uh I have not read a lot of books like this because <laughs> I actively avoid them, so I can't really name a book uh, that follows these tenets. But I'm sure, I'm sure if you read fantasy, sci-fi, or young adult fiction, you have come across stuff like this. 
So this this author has now been fighting uh, on Twitter for a few days. It's embarrassing. I think it's a fucking, uh, yeah, it's a shameful display to, like, post a fucking shit fit on Twitter that someone disagreed with your taste about literature. Like, I need to underline that while R.S. Benedict and her co-hosts very much do not like Squeakor, they are not calling it bad. They are not calling it, like, immoral or, like, unworthy, I guess. They just, they're like, uh, they find it really wishy-washy and, like, doesn't resonate with them. They want fiction that is, like, wild and dirty and raw and, like, bold. Not, like, safe, penned-in, super... Uh, safe is the word I keep coming back to, but super safe and accessible, surface-level, diverse, you know, ticks all the boxes, but doesn't actually challenge anything in a, in a really big or uncomfortable way. Yeah. Ticks all the boxes, but doesn't mm-hmm. have any depth to it. Yeah, just like, yeah, if you have a woman and a gay in there, you're fine. That's You've, you've ended misogyny. I'm like, non- well done. A non-white, but, like, ambiguous enough that it could really be any... <laughs> Any non-white... Yeah, like, don't commit yourself to anything too hard there. Yeah. And so their follow-up episode of the podcast, Shock Surprise, is about the discourse that they generated. But they they link an article by one of my favorite fantasy sci-fi authors, Jeff Vandermeer, from 2007. So people have been noticing this trend, I guess, in sci-fi fantasy literature for a while called The Triumph of Competence, wherein, again, I'm not going to just read his whole essay verbatim, because that'd be a boring podcast. But basically, (laughs) Jeff Vandermeer has noticed back in 2007 that a lot of uh, short fiction, because that's where a lot of, like, young authors get their start, is, like, you know, they publish short stories and anthologies and magazines and stuff. Everything's just sort of kind of good enough, you know? Nothing's really wild or daring anymore. Nothing's, like, ugly, kind of rough around the edges, but has a real, like, is a, like, new ground-shaking thing that you haven't seen before. Calls it, uh, quote, But the more I've thought about it, the more I feel that my general apathy when reading a lot of fantasy short fiction today comes from finding in it a profoundly disturbing, if sturdy, middle-class professionalism. The magazines and anthologies are dominated by what I'd call centrist fiction that simply drowns in competence. It's good, it's just not great. It's clever, and it's just not trying to do more. Or it does reach for more, but in familiar ways. Later on, quote, I keep coming back to words like rough and wild and pushing and punk and visionary. Words that I was reading were more like twee and comfortable, recycled, reasonable, well-rounded, whimsical, unoriginal, well-behaved, and fuzzy. Well-behaved is a good one. Yeah. So that is, like, established authors have been noticing this trend toward kind of like the most algorithmically divined, accessible sort of science fiction fantasy. Just something that everyone can get into, doesn't really challenge you in any way, doesn't really ever make you feel uncomfortable. Just kind of nice, a little bit fun, we crack some jokes, we have a good time here. And then, you know, we're in bed by nine o'clock. And mm-hmm. R.S. Benedict has privated her Twitter account, uh, which I can fucking understand because uh, sci-fi fantasy Twitter is monstrous. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 the state of affairs. Um, 
That's that whole thing. I feel like we could, this podcast could just be covering sci-fi fantasy writer Twitter drama. And like, I gotta say, like, I, I don't, Yeah. last time I heard about R.S. Benedict, I really fucking thought that her take was bad and mm-hmm. didn't agree with her at all. Still think her take is garbage, by the way, uh, about fan fiction. Her, again, I thought it was really like an argument from emotion more than anything else, which is fine. Again, your emotions are valid, Benedict, but it didn't really <laughs> convince me of your position. No. But this one about the aesthetics of Squeakor, fully 100% on board with, like... I completely agree with this sort of like milk toast middling, never takes any chances, pays lip service to like diversity and sort of progressive, massive air quotes aesthetics without actually digging into the uncomfortable stuff. Like, well, why are things not diverse? <laughs> Maybe, perhaps, something's being done unfairly to someone and, you know, going on from there. But, uh, it was kind of funny that. The authors hated this being pointed out so much that they they accused them of being Nazi adjacent, mm. which was, I mean, unsurprising, but sad to see. Mm-hmm. That's a trip. And I mean, here here's my deal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love me some Squeakor on days that I'm tired and I don't want to challenge myself. I love the comfort of a good, mm-hmm. fuzzy, ooh-woo fantasy fiction i really do (laughs) yep everyone's happy everyone's everyone's pronouns are respected everyone yeah no one no one is ever confronted or made to feel like they don't belong there is one type of each person lots lots of quips Lots of good quips, there's lots of banter. There's one of every kind of you in here. Yeah. There's not a ton of just challenging content, because then I can turn my brain mm-hmm. off a little bit. I can enjoy mm-hmm. the 30 minutes of colors and sounds or story or what have you. <laughs> and then go back to reality. That's not yeah, what I... Yeah, the whole world that we live in. Yeah, That's not yeah. my meat and, and potatoes, like- but... I I enjoy it. (laughs) From what uh, I read of the transcript, it seems to them that this is just the dominant style in publishing right now. Kind of like, you know, cyberpunk back in the day or uh, what they call like the golden age of sci-fi stuff. Like, it's just it's just the style now. It's what's in vogue so much so that other things don't get published. Mm -hmm. Like that. That's like their complaints is and which I agree with is that. If you have something raw or uncomfortable or, you know, edgy in a real way, like edgy as in, like, we're we're confronting some harsh truths about society and we might as not like punk. what we find. Yeah. Yeah, as in truly punk, uh, there's no market share for you. Like, you won't get paid. And that's rough because I am someone, you know, I like my quips as much as anyone else. I like my escapism as much as anyone else. But I also like fiction literature all sorts of fiction as a way to confront like nasty realities about society which i otherwise do not have the power to confront in my real life exactly i i actually have a fun take um i actually don't really care for squeak horror no me neither um the squeak horror that i that i enjoy is stardew valley 
<laughs> like that's it. Where I'm I'm playing the video game and it's just me picking up leaks and giving them to people and kissing my pixelated girlfriend and my pixelated chickens and going about my day. And that's that's the extent like where I I just play that video game. I don't like I don't read books like that. I don't typically like to watch movies or TV like that. I think probably the closest thing I watched to Squeakor was probably I, I watched a lot of Adventure Time back in the day. But even then, I'd watch, like, two episodes and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to watch something else for a while. Like, I I can only handle so much cute before it actually starts to to grate on me because I actually have the, the opposite problem where when I'm dealing with my traumas or my deepest anxieties or depression I have this instinct to be like there's no good in the world don't show me happy fun time (laughs) nobody feels this don't lie to me (laughs) nobody's happy I know what the world is like and so when I'm like when I'm when I'm at my deepest like in depression and anxiety I get I get to a point where it's like I'll watch veep where it's like, uh, no. Veep, Veep is the happiest we can get. Veep is as happy as we can get because it's really, it's just, the world is a fucking mess, but it's funny. Yeah, it's a and farce. It's a, it's a, the world is a farce with a body count. And it's like, but, but hey, we make some funny jokes and that's about as, that's about as pleased as I can get like, when I'm the, depressed. The thing is with Veep, uh... Uh, that humor is dark. That humor is not like, it's a funny joke. No. That humor is like, oh, someone died today for yeah. our incompetence. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Somebody lost a leg. And I'm over here with my, like, cartoons. Ooh, woo. <laughs> well, I mean, and I'll, I'll watch cartoons, but I typically like cartoons that are actually kind of dark. I mean, like, I do too. I actually, Bojack but... Horseman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, the thing is, is that, like, even if I like... Like, in the few times that I like a more or less squeak horror kind of thing, I'm like, but what if I made it worse? <laughs> like, in, in all of my fan fictions and headcanons, I'm like, I'm going to make this worse. I'm going to make this sadder. I, it's, I can only enjoy it by destroying it. <laughs> which... I have, like, there is something that I see a lot on Twitter, both from writers and just random jack-offs on Twitter, Arguing about, you know, representation, dun dun dun, in media or narrative or fiction of any kind. Usually, you know, for something like, you know, like homophobia or misogyny, they ask this rhetorical question haughtily because they they actually don't want an answer. It's a very Twitter move. Um, but saying like, why would you want to recreate misogyny and homophobia in your fantasy worlds? Like... Don't you have an imagination? There's dragons. Why is it unimaginable that there's no homophobia in this world or whatever? Something like that. Uh-huh. Just being like, if you if you at all portray homophobia or misogyny or racism or some some sort of ism in your fantasy work, you are by definition uncreative and a bad writer. Mm-hmm. That's why Game of Thrones was so popular, the, I guess. The reason uh, I hate that, I fucking hate it, and I want to see things that deal with my experiences, like, in fantasy, in sci-fi, um, is one, uh, I don't believe in a utopic society. I don't believe that there's any version of society that doesn't have conflict in it or discrimination in it. 
And two, because I fucking live in the world and I want to see characters experience the troubles that I experience and deal with them. That's the that's what I get out of this, man. <laughs> that's why I'm here. That's why I'm reading your fucking book. That's why I'm watching your fucking show. It's so that I can vicariously watch a character go through an emotional arc, maybe an emotional arc that I can relate to in some very personal ways, and get a catharsis out of it. So, like... If you're showing me, oh, just like, oh, just everyone kind of gets along here. There's no history of homophobia or misogyny. And, like, that doesn't fucking connect with me, man. Because I do actually have a history of experiencing homophobia and misogyny. <laughs> and I would like to see that uh, combated in ways that, you know, are original or new or exciting or triumphant or something. Like, just, oh, it just never happened here. We just, you know, just never a problem. I guess we're more enlightened than you. <laughs> like I yeah. fucking hate that argument of oh aren't you creative why couldn't you just wish away the homophobia and then it doesn't you'd never work like that Susan <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and even and even in the things where like a, a show that I do like that actually did that was Teen Wolf mm. Teen Wolf was very basic and was just like yeah, there's just no homophobia here but it wasn't there's no conflicts at all. It was just, I just don't want to delve into homophobia, but we can delve into misogyny. We can delve into this and that, which they didn't delve too deep. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Teen Wolf was very squeakore. Like, I, I, yes. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> I would say that's, yeah, I, mean, I would say that's record, fair. For the record, it was a reboot of an 80s movie on MTV. Yes. So, like, the stakes were very low. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Teen Wolf was fucking my, one of my favorite shows when it was on the air. So, I, I love Teen Wolf. No shit on Teen Wolf. <laughs> if you'll recall, though, Bliss... I made it worse. Oh, I mean, quite often. I also <laughs> made it worse. When I say I like Squeakor, for the record, I love Squeakor because I want that cotton candy sometimes. I will also take that cotton candy and make it worse. But <laughs> I will put arsenic in it. I, I don't live off the cotton candy. I do want to explore problematic content. I want to explore the isms in my content as yeah. well. But I like, do need that release of serotonin I get from Squeak Horse sometimes. I understand that because for me, um, that's that's Stardew Valley. Squeak Horse has its place for sure. Yeah, I don't. Not everything has to tackle some huge grim topic. Just the fact that this is so dominant now as to like push other darker, weightier, nastier forms of literature out of consideration even is sad like i feel like i feel i'm hoping i'm hoping because culture historically kind of goes in waves like we had the 60s like the hippie movement the peace love movement like you know oh man if we all just get along and you know go live in the woods and sing kumbaya society wouldn't be so bad man and then that didn't work and then we had the vietnam war and we had the 70s, maybe the most cynical decade in American history thus far. Uh -huh. And then the pendulum swung the other way and we had the super competitive, superficial, materialistic 80s. Uh, and then we had the 90s that was kind of like materialism is lame, grunge is where it is, like heroin chic and everything is miserable. And, you know, these things 
everything is kind of a reaction to its previous generation. Uh-huh. And so since we are in this generation of just moralist puritanism yeah. in terms of culture, I am really looking forward to the absolute cynical swing back toward just nasty, brutal, grindcore kind <laughs> of fiction. I want to see how fucked up we can get. I'm really looking forward to, for the other shoe to drop. Just hedonism all the way down. <laughs> oh yeah, just pure, unadulterated, exploitative, 100% of the time, all the time. Yeah. Any day now. Like, people are starting to notice. I am noticing more and more people every day, like, just in terms of sheer numbers on Twitter... Which I get is not a metric to by which to measure all society, but it's the only one I've got. Just more and more people pushing back against this kind of moralistic purity policing each and every day. And so oh, yeah. I'm looking forward. Uh, bring bring back bring back the gross shit. Bring I'm, back the grindhouse shit. I'm seeing more and more normies being like, "Who the fuck cares about Sonic's age? He's a fucking blue hedgehog." Like. <laughs> Well, because that's an absurd thing to be worried about. Like, obviously. I know, but it's just funny because, like, normies never noticed that that sort of thing before. Well, yeah, because normies don't want to fuck Sonic, obviously. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I'm saying that I'm seeing normies... Thanks thanks to the great equalizer of the internet, you have to know about everyone's fetish. (laughs) I mean, you want to fuck Knuckles. That's where it's at. I do. Yeah, I, I want to do fuck. Want to fuck I want to fuck Idris Elba, and he just happens to be in a red cartoon echidna that I'm not really. I don't like it, but I can. Ugh. I'm gonna. I'm gonna fuck the echidna and then Idris Elba. Not if I fuck the echidna first. <laughs> <laughs> I take back what I said about. <laughs> Depraved grindcore fiction. <laughs> Give me all the sweet core, please. I want to read your fucking Sonic the Hedgehog self insert fic. Thanks. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um. So, speaking of sweet core, as we are and do and will do until the end of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Lego franchise. <laughs> <laughs> It still exists for some reason. <laughs> All right. It sure do. Did you know that they are doing a um, Lego Journey to the West spin? I do now. But for the purposes of uh, dialogue and banter on the podcast, I'll pretend like I didn't. <laughs> no! <laughs> Tell me, Bliss, what is Journey to the West? I mean, I didn't know, so generally, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> So Journey to the West is a very famous Chinese novel from the 16th century. It's been adapted many, many times. Um, Super, super good novel. Would recommend. Not Squeakor. Yes. No. But like, it's like, it's like a Don Quixote or something like that. Or like a Shakespeare, like an old, like classic, like... This is where literature starts in our culture kind of text. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is a ye old type of writing. Mm-hmm. So while I do recommend you read it, be prepared for that type of reading. Um, but so Lego has decided to try its take at adapting Journey to the West with the 
Lego Monkey Kid franchise. Okay. Alrighty. Which, as they describe it, is uh, when the evil demon bull king is released, a young boy, MK, or Monkey Kid, must go on a journey of self-discovery to become the hero this generation needs. It's a spin. It has some of the like characters like the Monkey King, Pigsy, Tang. It's not going to be a wholehearted adaptation like word for word, right? It's mm-hmm. Lego. It's Lego, yes. <laughs> and which like in fairness, like Journey to the West has been adapted many mm-hmm. times both within China and internationally to varying degrees of like uh faithfulness strict <laughs> adherence to the yeah. text <laughs> it is also going to be including the character Neja which um I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that name I've only heard it pronounced uh in adaptations yes. so apologies for our pronunciation. Yes. <laughs> uh, so Neja in Journey to the West was a general under their father and helped fight the Monkey King when, you know, spoiler, he rebelled against the Jade Emperor. Uh, Neja. Journey to the West spoilers. Yes. <laughs> uh, Neja is also a ancient Chinese mythological figure. So not just a fictional character. This is also a deity in some people's cultures. So Ash Jacobson, who I'd never heard of before, nor had I heard of what they'd won a fucking Emmy for. Um, Mm. But Ash Jacobson is a storyboard artist, writer, cartoonist they are working on the lego monkey kid adaptation and thing yeah this brand and they sure did make a twitter post and i wanna i wanna read it because it's bad and i feel (laughs) like it needs to be heard by the people so ash says hey y'all wanted to post this in regards to what's going on right now Just to help try and clear the air and clarify where clarification is needed. We love and respect y'all, and I want that to be at the forefront of every interaction. And then they go on to say, Hey everybody, just wanted to post a heads up in regards to what's going on right now. The LMK crew unequivocally condemns pro-shipping in any form. I want to make that abundantly clear. While it may be true that our version of Neja is an adult, it's been brought to our attention that since he is historically viewed as a kid in many incarnations, there are people using the aforementioned info to validate pro-shipping ideologies. Um, a thing that exists. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is point blank not okay. This is a sensitive topic that I don't take lightly. We also want to represent the JTTW story in the most respectful way possible. And by recreating it with Legos. (laughs) (laughs) Animated Legos, not even just regular Legos. The utmost respect. Cartoon Legos. Uh, And if we learn something that we're doing isn't reflecting that, we're going to change it. Full stop. These aren't just fictional characters. 
they're linked to very real religious figures that were and still are worshipped by people and deserve respect. Any act of shipping or otherwise that treats a character in any way outside of the boundary of said respect is not okay with the LMK crew. I want the LMK fan community to be a safe space for people to interact and talk about this show. Anything that causes that to be untrue is not alright in my book. I'm genuinely sorry for the confusion and the hurt. Y'all are so important to us, and I hope everyone knows that it is never our intention to do anything to betray y'all's trust or to make this fandom unsafe. So that that sure was a take. You sure said that. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. I think my favorite part was like, no pro shipping allowed, which to me knowing what I know of what pro-ship means is literally just like, you guys have to harass each other. Yes. We will... <laughs> you have to police and snitch on one another. Uh, report all thought crimes to us, <laughs> king of the Lego monkey Chinese mm -hmm. gods. <laughs> and we will we will send you to thought crime jail, I guess, if you think dirty thoughts about our Legos. Yeah. I have to read also this secondary tweet. After a few people were like, uh, what the fuck are you talking about? You're not king of this fictional deity character from another culture, Westerner. Um, Ash Jacobson replies to someone saying, I'm NGL. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Uh, it's a relatively new term to me, meaning pro-shipper. I can't claim to know all the nuances of the term, but as I understand it, it refers to people who are okay with fictional depictions of highly inappropriate content, which is something that the LMK crew never condones. So, they chose to use this extremely loaded term that they didn't fucking understand in a way to make a big fuck-off... We don't allow dirty thoughts in our Lego game, man. Post like just, just I like totally one hundred percent representing their their, co their company. <laughs> I mean, just yeah, with their whole <laughs> chest, as the kids say. I'm gonna loot your Legos even harder. Like I don't know, I didn't want to fuck your Legos anyway, <laughs> man. Like. <laughs> They're Lego. I like. I, I genuinely. Oh I had no idea what they were talking about because they abbreviate everything. So I had to look it all up. Yes, the LMK and the JTTWs. Yeah. And, uh, and I was uh, aghast when I realized that they were talking. This was an Emmy award-winning animator. <laughs> animator discussing a Lego property and pro shipping. <laughs> I mean, here's the funny thing, is that in this property that they are, I guess, king of and can determine how people do and do not interact with this Lego movie. Is it a movie? Is it a game? I don't know. I guess it's a animation? It's a TV show and a couple movies on Amazon. Whatever. Yeah, that they are, like, making these decrees of the character is an adult they decided is totally of age to have all sorts of freaky supernatural god sex that they want. And they're like, no, actually, because sometimes in uh, their extra dimensional manifestation, this character is in fact not always an adult because they were definitely born and aged the same way we mortals do and achieve sexual maturity the fact. same way. And 
it is by that metric because at one time, like, it's basically the ultimate logical conclusion of, like, because you were once a child, you can never consent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, and except stupider because it's not real and it's about a literal mythological deity that, in fact, Lego does not have total creative control over. Nope. Well, it's just, it's it's insulting to me that it's like, we took this culture very, very different from our own, made it into Legos, <laughs> and are now... And also really changed the story. And mm-hmm. are now really... <laughs> aggressively telling you that you have to, you have to respect worship this these Legos. You have to respect this culture, and I won't hear anything to the contrary. You have to respect the culture in a Western way, though. Keep your gross, nasty, pro-shipping ideologies that I have no idea what they are, but I can assume <laughs> out of it. My favorite thing, my absolute favorite thing, was Chinese people, either, uh, you know, from China or Chinese-speaking people from the Chinese diaspora, replying to this tweet in Chinese and being like, what are you fucking talking about? (laughs) (laughs) It's being like, uh, it's not that deep, bro. Like, it's actually quite fine if you ship the adult Lego Chinese mythological figure. (laughs) With other adult Lego Chinese mythological figures, just because at one point he was a 12-year-old, it's it's fine, actually. Yeah. And since then, uh, the creator has locked their account, and I, I don't know, I haven't been able to follow up with anything since then. It was just, oh my god, it was just, it was, it was bad take. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Did we talk about the thing? Yeah, this one was just <sighs> disappointing all the way around. I want to go back to talking about Pokemon one day. Well, one day. One day soon, hopefully. One day. Um, until then, do you guys have a happy? Uh, Kelty and I went and saw the stage version of Kim's Convenience uh, that was being staged in Vancouver. Uh, Kim's Convenience, little-known Canadian comedy series starring one Simu Liu before he was a Marvel movie star in uh, Shang-Chi. Uh, it's really sweet. It's a story about... Um, an immigrant couple from Korea who now live in Toronto and their two kids and they are the first generation immigrant children born in Canada and just all all the struggles that they go through as a like sort of dysfunctional family the immigrant experience all that uh and it's really really funny too like it's it's there's a lot of like really great humor in it and it was nice to see it live it was nice to go to the theater again <laughs> the show by the way is on uh Netflix. American Netflix yeah. as well as Canadian Netflix. I don't know about the other Netflixes. You'd have to check. But um, I highly recommend it. Very cute show. And that way you'd be be showing some support to Simu Liu and to Canada. Yeah. Kelty, do you have a happy? I did watch... Okay, I did watch that show that was like Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell's like tongue-in-cheek horror series that's like or thriller series that's like making fun of all those thrillers it's called like the woman across the street from the girl on the train the girl or something on the window. yeah and um it was pretty funny it was a pretty good show it starts very slowly you don't a hundred percent see how like stupid it is right away and then and then it is just like a full flip on just like nonsense and it's pretty hilarious so yeah i did enjoy that fun um i 
styled a wig for the first time in a year. Oh, I saw. Yeah. It turned out pretty decent. My office smells like a full can of hairspray. Uh, mm, delicious. Yeah, I'm pretty pleased with how it turned out. And I'm excited to put that cosplay together. So that's fun. Yay. That is fun. Yeah. I love your cosplays. You're always so cute. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks for joining us this week. If you'd like to find us online, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Blissfully Show. If you're watching us on YouTube, hi, hello, give us a like, comment, subscribe, let us know what your favorite squeakor is, or if you hate the genre, I'm actually genuinely interested to know. Uh, also, if you don't mind clicking a link to another one of our videos, that really helps us. Uh, that is what the algorithm, the almighty algorithm, is really into right now. And then, yeah, until next time, bye! Bye-bye! I mean, sometimes Zeus is portrayed as a giant goose. <laughs>